0: Uh, you're listening to the Solana No Sharding podcast, and this is Anatoly. And today I have Kyle with me, who is the um, co-founder of uh, the Multicoin Fund. Um, awesome. Great to have you. Um, hey,
1: totally. good, good to be here. I feel like we've never spoken before.
0: Yeah. Yep. So this is like a um, special podcast. You might hear my kids in the background. I'm working from home like everyone else in San Francisco, who is basically under quarantine. It's uh, kind of a crazy time.
1: Uh, It is wild. Austin just shut down bars, like I think yesterday. I do not have kids, but yeah, we're all we're all working from home, and like the world is on fire. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the world is on fire. Um, It is like uh, a, a black swan event, and like. Critically, like I I think we had one in Bitcoin, right? It went from twenty-two thousand to like thirty-eight hundred, or maybe even lower. But this was correlated with a market crash and this like real human event, (laughs) which is a pandemic.
1: It's it's been crazy to see how the crypto markets have reacted, how correlated they have been. Um, A lot of people myself included, are all asking the question, how long will the correlation, you know, keep going? At least for the last 24 hours, the correlation seems to be broken, but that's not enough data to draw meaningful conclusions. So there's a, a whole lot of questions up in the air and a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, is this thing, at, is this the bottom? Like, are we close? Like what are people about to go way more risk off? Is this thing about to get way worse? And so like the prices are just going to be all over the map for a while. Yep.
0: Um so the panic, right? Like that had some interesting um aspects to it. Like we actually saw uh Bitmax, I believe, right, institute its own internal circuit breaker is what we think. Um that usually happens in real markets, but not I don't I don't think that's ever happened in the crypto markets before.
1: Yeah, on on, on March twelfth there were I think two two big moves down. Um, and during the second move down, uh, as the price discrepancy between BitMEX and Coinbase was think like four or $500, um, and BitMEX had a, just a series of cascading liquidations going. Um, at one point, the, there, there were $200 million of liquidations that were outstanding, but there were only $20 million on the order book. Um, and so the price of Bitcoin could have actually gone to zero for a second there. And very conveniently at that moment, BitMEX basically turned off. <laughs> um <laughs> so you know either uh it was a total coincidence and the, the bugs were in fact there they said were or you know they basically just turned the surface off um they obviously won't admit the latter but like it seems like the best explanation um because like the coincidence is just too, too like invaluable otherwise yep yep uh
0: so um i like wrote i you know i I started immediately thinking about how do i fix this problem as an engineer and i had this kind of interesting idea which i think only makes sense in the context of an exchange running on a blockchain and this was i don't think i would have had this idea had we not had this like previous exploit earlier with flash loans where somebody had a Basically, they, they found this like exploit in the state machine, in Ethereum, between all of this stuff, right? Like, and was able to borrow money and return it in the same transaction and just kind of evaluate a bunch of state with those funds as if they were theirs and make a profit. Um, it's kind of like from like, a, from like a computer science point of view, I almost see it as like garbage collection. Well, obviously, right? In a market, you should never have arbitrage. <laughs> right it's the price price in one part of a market should never be like above the price of an, in another part and real world we have all these bots doing this but inside a giant complicated state machine we don't have these bots yet <laughs> um so like the idea that i had was that if you have a panic right you may have like a, a similar effect as this flash loan where everybody's just really trying to pull liquidity out or potentially buy up another asset and blow up the order book. And in that moment, volatility blows up. And you can actually measure this in that same transaction in that block. So what if you had those orders matched, but you didn't allow them to execute? And you just simply let increase the time from execution from zero block to like 10 blocks, or whatever. And then those 10 blocks, those uh, owners of those trades can go update them, either cancel them or change the price, and kind of like, allow the spread to adjust to real world conditions. So that's basically what I called elastic circuit breakers.
1: Yeah, so this is a a super interesting idea. I I think that in traditional markets, people have played with variations of this before. So like, if you think about being a market maker, right? You've got like bids on the book, on uh, bids and offers on each side. Like by definition, you kind of like, if someone's just taking like killing, you know, eating your liquidity, like you don't have the information, like they may have some information you don't have. And so like, it's actually pretty scary to be a market maker because like the market can be moving against you. And if the market's going to move against you five percent, and no one is going to take the other side of the you know of the book, then you just eat like a huge loss. Yeah. And so, like on a, on a very micro second by second basis, being a market maker is really scary because like you don't know what what's happening. And so, I, I know a number of you know, market makers over the years have complained um, about this. And ex- exchanges, I'm not sure which exchanges have tried what, but I know just generally, different types of exchanges have tried to uh, come up with ways to basically attract, compete for market makers with the idea being that if they compete for market makers, they'll, they'll attract takers there cause they'll, they'll offer like better, better functioning markets. And one of the kind of interesting ideas that was instituted was that, um, makers can basically, if they you know, place a bid and then the takers, um, you know, eat take the liquidity, uh, for some period of time, maybe it's half a second, maybe it's one second, maybe it's two seconds, whatever, but for some window of time, the market makers can basically rescind the trade. Um, and that, that's really interesting because um, it, it's like, it feels wrong. But on the other hand, if everyone knows this is available all the time, then it changes how market makers yeah. provide the spread. Um, it allows them to offer narrower spreads. Um, so most of the time, that's actually good for takers, right? It only ends up in these periods of like heightened volatility where some takers can have trades rescinded. But most of the time, it actually is good. And so it's a real question of like, who's borrowing from who, right? Like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and that like, after I had this idea, I started thinking about like, so what would this market even, how would it behave, right? Like, if you know that um, people, if you know that in in a panic, right, you actually have this extra time, then that, that means that you can tighten the spreads, because you know that any execution that will occur is going to be close to the spread, right? So, to me, it seems like under average load, right, you actually have better performance. And when you do have a panic, fine, you lose your order, but that's what's supposed to happen, right? It means it means we the market wasn't behaving with like everyone knowing all the information they're supposed to
1: know. Yeah, yeah I mean it's a real question of like you can say market makers are supposed to know, and like I guess they can't and also like how market makers, I mean, market makers' job is by liquidity not to to take into account necessarily information, right? Like they just, they have capital and they're just providing liquidity on each side of the book. So it's a really interesting philosophical question. uh, Like who should market makers be? What kind of risk should they be forced to take? Um, Do you want to bear that cost all the time or just some of the time, right? Like it's it's, and they're like very gray on how you think about that.
0: Yeah, yep. I'm, I think like, it's like these markets are so different from centralized ones that like it's almost like a, a like a like there's ways you can build centralized markets where they do have flash loans right they can give you leverage within the marketplace the broker can like the the exchanges can do it right they can literally print money within the exchange as long as you pay it back right <laughs> right like uh
1: I mean, the exchanges should do it themselves, right? right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, like, within a decentralized system, you have to build these tools that are available to everybody permissionlessly. So it's, it's like such a uh, different beast that I think the behaviors are going to be different, um, but hopefully, in a more fair system.
1: Hopefully, I mean, what I'm guessing is going to happen is just like, you know, you've got Citadel and Two Sigma and all those guys now who have, you know, like, uh, like to like do market make and do arbitrage and stuff. I mean, they have all this crazy infrastructure to like they compete on like a uh, like millisecond or microsecond basis for speed. Like, you're going to see the same weird stuff happen around crypto, but it's going to be permissionless. And so, like, it's going to be different because we're not going to know that the server is like in this data center over here like the server is going to be, ro- <laughs> it's going to be rotating, yeah. you know? And and so that's going to create all kinds of weird distortions. And I, I don't know, like maybe it makes it more fair or maybe it makes it even harder. Like it just raises the barriers to entry and, and like only supports five people who have the capital to do that. Right. Like, I don't know.
0: Well, like the block producers, I think have to become market makers, like at the end of the day, like when you, when you have this, like, this giant state machine that is so complicated that there is opportunities for arbitrage in this open space that everybody knows, um, like the block producer has to go and go and like clear it out. Right. So they are, they are market makers. They are like effectively running some kind of algos or bots or something like that and picking what goes in (laughs) and what clears the state. even if by default right now, like the algorithm is give me the transactions with the highest fees. Ultimately, I think that's going to change, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, like this gets kind of, I mean, to the even deeper question of like security model of all these systems, I think Hasu a few months ago with I think James Prestige and a few other people wrote like that great article about minor extractable value. And like, clearly this is minor extractable value. Um, And so at some point, like, as there's more and more value here to be had, Someone's going to write the software that you know makes, makes all this happen. It does not appear that miners are doing this today um, in any sensible way. Uh, however, I think that's going to start changing over the next... I think over the next six months, we're going to start to see this happen on the margin. Um, I don't know if it's going to become like a systematic practice, but I expect to see it start happening soon. I, I remember we, we've seen kind of variations of this already where... I, I remember back in 2017 when Bitcoin was like basically full... Uh, miners, a couple of my, the mining pools basically said, "Hey, if your transactions aren't going through, send them here. And like, if we sit on, like, if it doesn't go through for like six hours or whatever, like, we'll include it for you at like a low, a low fee." Um, so we've already started to see miners kind of like write overrides on on just the default algo for transaction inclusion, and I expect that's going to really accelerate. Um, and I do think they are going to start to basically, you know, liquidity.
0: You think they'll already do this for exchanges? Like, basically, mining pools will, like, have, like, a direct connection to Binance, for example, where they tell them, hey, we need <laughs> – we want you to prioritize these transactions.
1: Um, I know for a fact one uh, protocol uh, that we actually we invested in, although it's not yet announced, they are working with a mining pool to ensure transactions do go through. Uh, I think it's basically like a handshake. I don't think there's any, like, revenue split or anything. But – uh, as this stuff becomes more important, I can expect to see, you know, those those become financial relationships. Um, I and mean, what's funny is like all of these have analogs in traditional markets. So like they probably the most well known one recently that's gotten press is actually Robinhood. Like Robinhood's business model is primarily payment for order flow, and so right the idea is that yeah. if you're providing liquidity on on a centralized exchange, if you're let's say Citadel, and like you don't know who's on the other side of the trade taking your liquidity. Um, it could be like an insider with insider information. It could be some super smart hedge fund that like did some crazy research that you don't know about. You know, you don't know who it is, and so you're always kind of concerned that the guy on the other side of the trade has has real information that you don't have. Um, with Robinhood, because it's like such a consumer-centric product, like if the the trades that come from Robinhood, you expect to, them to not have information that you don't already have, and so you can you can actually quote tighter spreads. Because you're basically saying, I don't think these guys, you know, know what
0: <laughs> the, the traders in Wall Street best. You don't
1: think they have insider information. <laughs> <actually>? <laughs> right. And so so Citadel knows that so Citadel will actually quote tighter spreads to Robinhood. Um, and then Robinhood will actually charge Citadel to guarantee Citadel that gets that order flow. Um, so there's some weird conflicts of interest. Here. <laughs> uh, That's really but, funny. But like, that's actually like a, a good comp for, for what you basically just described. And I think we're gonna to start to see similar types of, of systems pop up in the market structure over the next you know six to 12 months.
0: So like the, I'm like seeing this crazy uh, cycle in the real markets that the S&P is crashing and the federal exchange is just like dumping money into the system. Are like those markets, have they stopped being real markets? Is it is like is that basically like uh like almost like become at least in the United States, like you have a 401k and that's like almost like privatized social security, right? It's just the federal exchange <laughs> just keeps doing whatever it's doing to keep it to keep numbers going up, right like a, are those real markets still or is it dead
1: <laughs> I mean, I've been telling all my friends. Uh, right now, there none of the prices you see in like traditional markets are real. I don't mean that they're they're like fraudulent or like there's wash trading or, or like fraud or anything. Of that. I don't mean it in that sense. I mean they're not. There's price discovery is not actually happening right now. And assets are not being priced. There's just people looking for liquidity in asset classes. And like you have, with a few exceptions, you have some weird memes on the side. So like Zoom is a good meme right now. <laughs> um, like Blue yeah. April is, a, is a good meme right now so like you're seeing these weird meme coins or in these case weird stocks uh, meme stocks that are like ripping And in, and in, or like the airlines obviously like in, in reverse um, but besides that like price discovery is not happening like talking about like this, this company is trading at this PE of whatever like it doesn't it doesn't matter like everything is nothing is actually being priced on the margin based on any notion of fundamentals and so price discovery is explicitly gone um and and you can say that's bad and that the fed should stop doing that and you could even say, but like they don't appear to be and and so that and if they did that would arguably be worse because i mean there would really be no liquidity in the system um and like the flip side is like you could say shut off the markets but that's also really bad because that means like if people need to like sell stuff to like feed themselves because like the stores are closed and they got laid off from their jobs <laughs> like that's also bad and so like you're between a rock and a hard place like uh and in this case you know to, Federal Reserve is stepping out to print money and make it easy for everybody.
0: It's um, so like uh, like it seems to me like crypto is like really the only real market left. Maybe forex, right? There's still central banks that then you can bet against them, right? Which central bank is crazier? <laughs> Um, yeah.
1: And you, you can probably estimate like, I mean, some people are trying to estimate like organic capital flow for FX markets, right? Like right. which dollars flowing between countries. So that that stuff I guess is is real to some degree, but certainly the price of like equities and bonds right now are like, this is an actual price discovery happening.
0: Um, Do you think that like, you know, to me, like the challenge hasn't been so much showing that like, okay, we can build a potentially a better engine for this stuff. It's convincing that 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 there is actually like a business opportunity there for like an exchange to move over right like why would you know Solana is like a really fast state machine, right? We can build this thing, but how do we actually get b t c users to want to trade b t c for something on this decentralized network <laughs> right even even if it's better right like how do like how do you how do you make that like move? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of inertia in the status quo. Like you need, you can't be 20% better. You have to be 10 X better. Um, and, and so like, how, how does that happen over time is is somewhat difficult to ascertain, but, but we have some inklings of like, if you look at like, how have liquidity venues evolved over the last, you know, 24 months or 36 months in crypto, like there's been clear different vectors of differentiation that have created opportunities. So like, um, you know, Binance became like king of trading shit coins um, and then like did a really good job with like broad-based international expansion and fiat expansion. Um, BitMEX invented the perpetual swap contract, which was just a, a beautiful kind of financial invention, and then drew people who wanted to basically just trade, you know, um, uh, what's it called, leverage Bitcoin and ETH. Um, and then they're a bit like really figured out options correctly. And like, you know, so there's been different vectors of, of, of differentiation to do that. It seems like those vectors are slowly getting exhausted. Like, I don't know how many more there are that are left. FTX did a remarkable job in 2019 going from zero to really huge volumes um, with a pretty small team. So they, they've done that. Um, for something like Solana, it's interesting of like, what does it do that ETH can't do, like that you can't do on, on top of the existing decks on top of ETH. And the pretty obvious thing is just like throughput, right? Like, and latency. And yeah, like, you need those things to run a decentralized exchange. Um,
0: I mean, you can't build like a serious order book any, you know, like if you use this elastic circuit breaker approach, you would need like two hours time, right? Where for orders still like to, for people to update their orders and that's effectively broken. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I wasn't even meaning like a limit, the limit, limits on the limit orders on book, just, just non-custodial, but you have like a centralized order book and centralized matching. Um But even that with ETH doesn't work. Cause just like, dude, the number of trades that go through, like, I mean, is just like, there's a huge number of trades that are going through and like that wouldn't work either. And so like, it, if there is a group of people who want non-custodial trading um Right now they still don't really have a place they can do it with with meaningful volume. Um, it's just too gas expensive and too many trades. And so uh, I'm I'm optimistic that that those people if if there's a exchange that works on Solana that lets them trade the assets they want to trade, I'm optimistic that, that people would use it. Is it gonna like displace BitMEX or Binance overnight? Like for sure it's not. But I, I think there's today I think there's demand for hundred million dollars of data liquidity uh, going back and forth. On uh, like like of people who are would prefer to be non custodial, um, and I think that number is growing pretty meaningfully. Um, that, I wouldn't surprised that number is two three four x by the end of the year.
0: And that liquidity, you you think it's just uh, BTC and ETH, right?
1: Yeah, pr- predominantly BTC ETH and USDT. Those are by far the three most important pairs.
0: In the, in this black spawn, there was no like run on USDT. <laughs> Like, meaning that, like, people weren't taking USDT and converting it to fiat, were they? Correct. Which is bizarre to me, like, because from what I understand, USDT is only backed by Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin drops, um, <laughs> what is there to back it, right?
1: USDT is backed by uh, is backed by 80% dollars, and they've, they've paid back, so it was 74% backed by dollars and 26% back by IOUs that were questionable <laughs> if we get paid back. Uh, but they have paid back, like, 6% of that or something, so it's, like, 80% back. But, like, people don't seem to care.
0: So.
1: <laughs> I mean, all we know, Bitfinex will repay the, the loans, like, before they get the IOUs back, which at this point, at that rate, like, that's, like, two years away or whatever, right? Like, so... It, I, I hate, I don't want to endorse their action, and I I don't, but like, it seems like it's going to be okay. Like, the dollars are, are there. For most, least 80% of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's the problem for, like, the decentralized space that they can't do those kinds of shenanigans to grow, for growth. Because you're stuck with this technology that just won't let you cheat, right?
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe, I mean, like, well, the, the flip side is that like if it was if it was decentralized to begin with, then like you wouldn't have ever have the problem of like, you know, dealing with crypto capital to begin with and like all that stuff. And so, I, well, I don't you, know.
0: Would you be able to grow, right?
1: Yeah, you'd be able to grow.
0: Like gr- like, look, look at Maker, right? They, they had a kind of a bug where their bots, when they saw the gas prices shoot up, stopped trading, right? Uh, and it, one person figured out that that was happening and was able to clear a bunch of ETH at zero die. Yep. And if this was Bitfinex, they would have just swept it into the rug, <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. And they wouldn't have had to deal with this fallout now where, I don't I don't know, is Maker going to survive this?
1: Maker is going to survive this. Um, it could have, and you can even argue, it should have exploded last week. Um I think there was a huge, like a very meaningful public maker could have actually imploded last week. It did not. Uh, I think largely a function of luck. Uh, but it, it didn't. And and it's very clear there's tons of community support for it. Um, and so it's going to remain solvent. I'm not worried about that. Well, <laughs> yeah, like humans,
0: humans have a lot of like uh, feedback systems to allow us to deal with, with fuck ups. Right.
1: I mean, the way I think about, I I kind of contextualize Maker is, because I I was pretty concerned about it, too, in kind of the 24 to 48 hours after all all the stuff went down. And the way I think about it is the ETH hard fork for the DAO was way more catastrophic than this Maker, like, this Maker bug. Um, And also the ETH community at the time was so much smaller than it is now. And, like, ETH survived that. And so... um, If ETH survived that, like, Maker can survive this.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was a...
1: I remember, man, I was just getting into ETH at the time, and I was like, yo, this thing is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys violated immutability. Like, this is what blockchains are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, they haven't done it since, right? So they kind of, like, they... Maybe they're scared, learn their lesson, or there isn't enough community pushing to save anyone. I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been anything that as that bad that's that's happened, which which is good. It, it would be a lot harder to do something like that today. I mean, that back then the community was so homogenous. It is still pretty homogenous, although less so than it was in 2016.
0: Uh, so. so is the? Um, I guess my my theory kind of like financial theory for these networks is that they're almost like a lending club software, like a, you know what a lending club is? People get together, they pull their money together and then they like lend it out.
1: Uh, I mean, I understand. It. I'm not right. sure people do this. No one invited me. To like, yeah, I know.
0: Like, I, I think I think they've gone out of style, right? So this is like a global one for nerds, where you have software around it, complicated software <laughs> around these systems. But within this, right, like we we get to build something cool like Maker, right? So, but ultimately, the community, right, is what kind of keeps it going. So to me, like these, like. This critical time for us at least is during this launch is that we get these people in and kind of keep them, right? Like part of the club, but they don't they don't get get burned or destroyed. In a lot of ways like I I feel like we dodged a bullet with launching after the crash than right before it. Because well, what what would happen if this crash happened like 2 weeks after we launched, right?
1: Yeah, people would have freaked out. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: All those users would have been like would have been screwed. So it's uh, in a lot of ways, right? Like maybe the start is going to be slower, but at least we don't get to see that um, all that effort being destroyed, like in just one one fail swoop.
1: That that's a really interesting point, and yeah, I I think you're right. Like that would be like if you launch it, and then, yeah, a week later that happens. Like it's just everyone gets scared.
0: Are there are there any projects that launch? Um, in the peak of like the the, the 20,000 Bitcoin peak that still survived. Maker. Maker, yeah.
1: Maker, I think launched January of 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, what else launched at that time? Uh, I mean, Telegram like started raising money right <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else raised around that time? Chainlink. I don't remember when Chainlink was raising or not raising. I don't, I don't know. Uh,
0: so do you think this crash is going to be harder to recover for crypto than the one from you know twenty thousand to like thirty five hundred?
1: I'm not sure. Um, not investment advice, and I, I don't know. Yeah, we we have theories, but like we have many theories. They they are daily polar <laughs> and like and there's conflicting data supporting each theory. And so, like, w- w- it's too hard to know which, like, have conviction in, in one over the other right now.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, like, we are all kind of stuck at home, at least in the United States, which is uh, kind of interesting for decentralized networks. You don't need to go outside <laughs> to work on them, to participate in them, uh, to be, like, part of the, like, doing all these Uh, online events and podcasts seems like in a lot of ways our business hasn't changed so i'm curious if it'll become just a larger part of the overall world simply because of that because you're able to push it forward so it'll start eating up more of the space that was left
1: like, it, yeah, it's, it's probably I mean, like, like for example, we were, it looks like we were about to go under, right? And so, like, people are going to have like other things to go to and shit like that. So, yeah, like, it, it's very possible. I, I don't know. Like, that's a good macro theory, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm,
0: I'm trying to look at all the positives here. <laughs>
1: um, What's a positive? I mean, a good positive we work. because if you need to go rent office space, like, it's going to get real cheap to rent office space.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Translators are better going to be in higher demand. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys? Uh, what were you planning before the crash? Like you guys probably didn't see it coming, right?
1: I mean, we were following the virus. Um, you know, we had some some theories about what was going to happen, what was going to ha- was not going to happen. Some of those theories played out. Some of them didn't, but. Um, we, we've been, we were somewhat prepared, we could have been more prepared, but we were not like totally caught off guard. Uh, I mean, in terms of our, our plans, like we were supposed to host our summit, which like that's, not, <laughs> that's obviously canceled, but that's not happening. Um, and besides that, I mean, life like goes on, like we have all of the things that we keep monitoring across all the major networks. We keep looking at new deals. Uh, I we think we issued a term sheet last week. I think we issued a term sheet last week. So like, we're still doing new deals, um, helping our portfolio companies wherever we can help them. So life life kind of goes on in, th- in that sense.
0: Yeah. Um. Um. You guys are like, were some of the earlier investors in Solana. Um, you kind of saw a lot of the protocols kind of mature over the last two years. Um, You know, I kind of see like we're one of the first next generation ones. Is there another wave that's coming or is this (laughs) like, I I, I haven't seen anything else. I mean, I think Coda is maybe like the, the last of like the kind of like, there's like a quadrant, right? There's like sharding, which is near, right? Us, which is like, Screw sharding. We're gonna do everything with hardware. Ava, which is like okay, we'll we'll build like a DAG correctly, <laughs> and then Coda, which is the ZK, zero knowledge based approach. I don't know if there's like a fifth column, right? Um, I, yeah, like Cosmos, Parity, but everything. I think to me, everything's becoming Cosmos. Like, why wouldn't we run a light? client of every other chain inside Solana and why wouldn't every other smart contracts platform do the same thing?
1: Yeah, I, I think your, your kind of framing is generally correct. Um, to me, the biggest question is like either sharding or, or no sharding. And even Cosmos I put in the sharding bucket or, or certainly Polkadot, ETH2, Near, all these, I mean, Dfinity is supposed to be sharded, so like all these things are, are going in that direction. Um, and there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that that is that is correct. It, it could be correct. But it just creates a lot of new problems. Um, one uh, problem that, that there's a lot Coda is probably the, the weird one. And I think there's another one, I think it's called mirror protocol or mirror something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is sim- I think it's similar to Coda kind of in terms of the approach, although I don't know the, the details. Um, the big problem right now is that the funding has dried up for like, what I've realized is if you're going to launch a new layer one, like you just need a minimum of like $15 million. Like you just can't do it with less money than that. Um, because like, there's just so much stuff you have to to get do and get right. And like you need amazing engineers and like it takes a lot of time and to, to test nets and all these things. And, and so, uh, you, you need a lot of capital and like there is not capital today to support those, that kind of funding. Um, and so even if there's some magical new thing that like is the right answer and has some crazy breakthrough, um, un- unless there is just someone who really, really believes and has a big, big, big checkbook and there's not many of those people out there, uh, it's very hard to see that thing coming to market.
0: Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the, it seems like a lot of the, the the costs that people didn't realize are just the taking the crazy idea you're taking a lot of technical risk than actually <laughs> commercializing it on real-world hardware, r- real-world networks with real-world users, right? That there's so many things that people don't anticipate in terms of how much engineering time is spent on making that real, um, and that engineering time is expensive. There's just no other way to do it. So kind of like your innovations are basically, if you can't do it on Tendermint or ETH, you're you're stuck. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. Like you need to be able to skip a lot of steps to like launch your chain. So Tendermint may up there, uh, we're seeing new stuff, um, like trying to try and use Tendermint. But, um, you know, it, it's still just like, it's, it's really hard to get this stuff out. Uh, and you need a lot of capital. Um, and you need people who are bought in who are going to help you and support you along the way. Um, and so it, at this stage, getting someone who's going to underwrite like a big ticket, there is also just like invest the time is, is pretty difficult. Uh, I do think what's going to end up happening over the next five years is a lot of these layer ones are, you know, the next 12 to 24 months is kind of make or break time for these guys. And if they don't kind of make it up the kind of growth curve, then a lot of their R and D is, I mean, it's all open source. Right. And so we'll slowly start to see that stuff get incorporated into, into other chains.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't even see that as almost like other chains being evil. It's like another chain hits its growth curve and it needs to solve a problem. All, all of us have been trying to publish everything we're doing and like say, hey, we're the best, right? This is how we solve this problem. I'm going to Google it and find it <laughs> and, yeah. and incorporate it, right? Like, because now I actually need it. But that's, that's kind of like the, the ironic part there. <laughs> um, I'm like, what do you think actual growth looks like for these networks? That, that part is like still not a hundred percent clear to me.
1: I don't think it's it's clear to anyone. Um, what, what, what's clear now is that ETH like DeFi is interesting and it makes sense. And there's some value there, but like, it's very hard to see how DeFi grows more than 10 X from here. Um, in terms of just number of users. I mean, like that's like just each constraints, like it's just, it's very difficult. Um, And then like, if you want to start doing anything else with like large scale, you know, encrypted messaging or like large scale of namespaces or like large scale lookups of like hashes on a chain and then like IPFS data's on IPFS or are we, I mean like any other other interesting things you may want to do with the chain, besides basically like low throughput, high latency DeFi like we just haven't been able to test those theories yet, really. Um, we did a little bit with EOS, but then like the EOS gas model was broken and so like I do, but like broke all of EOS. So that could have been an interesting way to test it, but that just like hasn't happened. Um, one thing I'm excited about, I don't know where it goes but I'm excited about is you look at um, there's like this whole group it's, like Canon right is building on Solana they've got like a million users or whatever doing some stuff with like tipping and messaging apps and, and stuff like that. Um, there's a whole long tail of social applications that have right. like on the order of like five to 25 million users that like they're private companies that like they, you know, they got funded over like the, the, the social era of like 2010 to like 2014. Um, and like they, you know, have stalled in growth for whatever reason. And, like, they're looking for, like, any crazy new ideas. And for a lot of them, like, embedding commerce as, like, a native feature um, is is interesting. It's hard for them to do that today because that would make them a a money transmitter business. And, like, there's a whole host of problems with becoming an MSB. And so, like, for them to, like, integrate something like Solana that allows you to, uh, you know, that allows you to enable fast, cheap transactions and payments between your users is really interesting. And that could, like, reignite new kinds of growth spurts. Um, so i'm optimistic for things like that um, i don't know where it goes but uh i could see it like kicking off some meaningful amount of I it to get the going. um folks like brave are very interesting for obvious reasons they've got 10 million people looking at a bunch of ads and stuff um right now you know they use uphold effectively as like the centralized intermediary uphold is an msb um and so like right like that the regular arbitrage is is clearly a clear opportunity um I think there's lots of these kinds of opportunities on the margin that most people are not kind of seeing. And and I don't know how you like have one plus one equal four. Like, I don't know kind of where the emergent value comes from, but I'm pretty sure you can kickstart these networks.
0: Yeah. Like a, I have, I think obviously we talk all the time. So I have similar ideas. <laughs> yeah. My, my theory at least was that like the Google impression, right. Is 0.2 cents. That's like our current micropayment on the internet. So there's, I think in a lot of ways, it's saturated how much, how much attention, not not bring up the attention token, but just like my human attention is not fully saturated with advertisement. You just can't give me more, <laughs> right? That's like a zero sum at this point. So there's needs to be a way for like those businesses to grow um, and replacing ads with some kind of network effects through commerce, even if it's micropayments between users for, you know, jokes, right? Like, you know, karma or like, you know, trolls, troll posts on Reddit, right? Stuff like that. It doesn't matter what it is, but if that stuff has value and there's enough of it generated between users, you can start, I think, gen- generating similar revenues to what we see with advertisement. Um, but it has to be cheaper transaction-wise than a, a Google impression, which is point oh, yeah, sense, right. right? So like that, that's kind of like, I think for those business Cases that puts a, a real bound on the performance of any single shard in the network, which is why sharding sucks. But <laughs> Are we, we're on the sharding podcast. Yeah, I just to make sure we're, we're in the, wrong place. We're the, the no sharding podcast. Oh
1: shoot! All right, yeah. I think I got to go. I think I'm in the wrong place. I walked in the wrong place.
0: Yeah. Yeah the 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 sharding podcast is in the other shard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you guys um do you think that like the layer ones that are going to stop being friendly to each other? Like we've been pretty friendly to like all the folks that I mentioned. Nier has like been awesome help to us, you know, they've, like, found bugs in our code, (laughs) right? We're, like, they're awesome people. But, like, are we going to, like, start actually competing, like, ruthlessly at some point?
1: Yeah, I think it seems to be, like, Gavin would have some sort of, like, hate Ethereum complex that I I don't fully understand. Um, I'm fairly certain that Polkadot slash Parity will attack Ethereum in some way this year. Um, I think that's probably the only likely Form, I don't want to say formal, but like the only like leap battle you will see that like spills over into public view in some sort of obvious way. Um, I do think as if another chain starts to meaningfully attract attention away from Ethereum, that the Ethereum people will start to attack that other chain. Probably they'll do it covertly, like I don't think they're going to announce it or like take credit for it or anything, but um, I, I could see a, a very, I, I think it will get uglier over the next 12 to 24 months for, for sure. See, so
0: mean- and then like. You mean like trying to uh, exploit security vulnerabilities, stuff like that?
1: Stuff like that, yeah. Things like uh, jamming up, like the, the the transaction throughput, causing like if there's like a slow database read somewhere, or whatever, right? Like spamming that and like causing the chain to come to a halt. Like the Shanghai attacks were like some derivative of that. So I expect to see all of those kinds of weird things happen, um, and I my suspicion is that for the most part, be unsuccessful um breaking consensus is very difficult and just takes a lot of capital like throwing like like dossing some like poor like gas optimization in like yeah. whatever like database read like is a very fixed it doesn't cost much money to do um like attacking consensus on one of these chains like you need to, to do it profitably you need like a robust short market and like all these other things you need to have a lot of capital you're willing to risk um and, That's my- and as we've seen, prices are not correlated with consensus, like iota,
0: like literally just the most disconnected thing, right? <laughs>
1: right. Our ETC was 51 percent attacked. Here and like it's, it's, it's an and so um, yeah, I'm I'm. It, it's very hard for me to see consensus level attacks, kind of being being sensible, because most of these people look they have money, but like, are they going to put five million bucks into this attack? Like, probably not. Like uh and so it's 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 difficult to see that happening in real life yeah
0: i think the security stuff would have happened anyways like it's not like i don't you know it's not i don't think it's almost like people are going to be malicious it's just that people are going to start poking around and be like hey look what i discovered right like and that is almost like a sign of traction because people are using it, using it to the level that they've discovered like a, a wrinkle, right? And then they're like, okay, I'm going to go get my, my badge that I'm a, a hacker. Um,
1: totally. Like a lot of the white hats will start to, to, to muck around with these things.